all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. It's been a while since we've done a show kind of focused around COVID, um, and I'm going to try and bring in some some different things that we haven't talked about yet. I've gotten lots and lots of um, questions kind of about um, the vaccines, so we'll talk through some of those that I've gotten through Facebook, as well as um, the popularity of vitamins and supplements associated with COVID, whether for the prevention or the treatment. I've gotten lots of questions about that. And so we'll go through some of those that I've gotten. If you have a question for us, our um, phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can send us an email, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and leave me a message there. So, like I said, I've gotten lots of questions about vitamins, minerals, supplements. Um, Should we be taking them? Are there dangers with taking them? Do they work um, as it relates to, to COVID? And so I think the best place for us to start with that is the, the concept that just because something is over the counter or can be um, purchased with on you know Amazon or, or online and shipped to your door without a provider's prescription, it does not necessarily mean it is benign or without risk. So that's kind of the first thing that we should always always think about and and start with is just because we can get something without a prescription doesn't mean that it won't interact with prescription medicines or um, have any kind of side effects that we might not want. So the the take home from that is that anytime you are thinking about adding a a, um, supplement or an over-the-counter medication to your um, regimen that you discuss that with your healthcare provider. Um, there are interactions between, especially like blood thinners, like if you're on um, a blood thinner and then some of these medication or these supplements will interact with that. Um, if you've got, you know, iron deficiency anemia, there are some interactions there. So always, always, always discuss um, before adding um, a supplement or a vitamin or a mineral mineral with your um, regular 
um, healthcare provider so that they can take that into account. Um, the second is buying a, if, if everyone agrees that we're going to add one of these, it's buying um, a, a good quality brand. Um, I've talked about on the show before that there's not um, kind of as stringent of a regulation on um, supplements as there are with medications from, you know, from the FDA. Um, and so we want to ensure that whatever is in that bottle um, or whatever it says on the outside of that bottle is what's actually in that bottle. And so looking for the USP verified seal is a good way to start with that. So it should be on the side of the bottle and say USP verified, which is a, an optional um, kind of product certification that looks at potency and efficacy and what's in the bottle is what's actually in the bottle. Um, so those are all really, really, really important um, things to take into consideration before you uh, purchase or start a supplement or a vitamin or a mineral. Now, as we go through some of these vitamins and minerals that you may have seen uh, in the news about um, their relationship to COVID, you may hear me say insufficient evidence a lot. Right? And what that means is we don't know yet, right? Or there is not enough evidence to say, yes, we should add this or no, we shouldn't add this. So that, that can be confusing for people. And it can also make folks very passionate when they're like, well, I take it and I did fine with it. And it kept me from getting COVID. Doesn't mean that's not true. It just means when we have, when we look at the quality of the data, right, from really good, well-designed um, studies, there may not be enough evidence there to say, yes, it works or no, it doesn't. And so it doesn't mean that in, you know, another year that we won't have that evidence there. And that can be confusing for folks because it seems like we're kind of changing our opinion or, you know, changing our guidelines. And it's just we're adapting with where the science goes. And that's what you want your healthcare providers doing is, um, is evaluating the evidence that we have available and making the best possible decision for how to proceed with healthcare based on those things. So some of the um, ones that are most prominently discussed in, uh, in, the, in the news, in the media that you may have seen are things like vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, um, melatonin. Those are kind of some of the more um, robustly marketed uh, supplements out there. And so I think a great place to start would be to probably start with one that we're, we're very, very um, used to thinking about in terms of colds and viruses and those kinds of things, which would be vitamin C. Um, there's been kind of a long-held belief about vitamin C and its ability to kind of help fight off a cold or shorten the duration of symptoms. Um, the evidence is not super um, impressive on, on that. And the, of course, the evidence that then translates that from just the regular cold to actual COVID is, is even less robust there. But let's talk about about vitamin C. Um, so it is an important part of a healthy immune system. 
we can get it in a variety of ways. You know, I always love to see things happen from food um, whenever possible. You know, can we get that from from food? And the answer is yes. So a vitamin C deficiency is extremely rare in the United States. And so I think let's let's talk about the word deficiency for a second before we even get in kind of to the meat of the vitamin C. So a deficiency would mean that you do not have um, enough of that particular nutrient on on board, right? Um, levels can be checked for different things. Vitamin C is not normally a level um, that we check because it's such a um, rarity to have a vitamin C deficiency. And I've thought about the way to to think about explaining that if you have enough, you don't need extra. And I couldn't come up with a better way to, to explain that that was better than what the Harvard School of Public Health came up with. And so their kind of analogy is imagine you have a car, right? And if the car has all four wheels, it, it should go like it's supposed to. But if it only has three wheels, it doesn't um, doesn't ride down the road as well as it normally would. That so that's akin to having a deficiency, right? So if we added that fourth wheel back to it, we replaced the tire, the the car should go like it's supposed to, right? So if we replace a nutrient that someone is deficient in, it should make it make the body work like it's supposed to. But if we're not deficient in something and we just stick an extra tire on there, right? If we stick a fifth wheel on a car, that car doesn't work better because we added an extra wheel to it. So if we're not deficient, then we um, are unlikely, so to speak, to get a whole lot of extra benefit from supplementing something, right? And man, that was just a really good analogy. And I wish I had thought of it, but I have to give credit um, to the Harvard School of Public Health on that because it's a really good, um, good notion there. So back to vitamin C. If we know that um, a true vitamin C deficiency is very, very rare in the United States, then the addition of um, a vitamin C supplement is probably not going to have a ton of, uh, of benefit going on there. Um, we can get vitamin C in adequate amounts from our diet. So fruits and vegetables are kind of your, your rock stars when it comes to vitamin C. Um, things like um, citrus fruits and berries and red bell peppers and all of those kinds of things um, are rich in vitamin C. Now, if we have someone who doesn't eat fruits and vegetables, right, which they're out there because they come to see me in Lifestyle Clinic, um, and I think I'm raising a couple of them because my kids don't love fruits and vegetables either as, as much as I'm trying to fix that, um, perhaps a, a supplement in more of a multivitamin type of sense would be, would be better for them. Um, because if they're not eating fruits and vegetables, then it's not only vitamin C that they're not getting, right? There are some other things that come from fruits and vegetables that we're, that we're also not getting on board there. Vitamin C, I mentioned that all of these are not like just benign, right? So what if we get too much vitamin C on board? Um, well, doses of over 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C um, cause a, actually a lot of GI upset. So 
heartburn, indigestion type stuff, abdominal pain, as well as diarrhea. Um, so large dose vitamin C is not necessarily something that's going to be helpful for us. It may actually make us feel really bad. Um, if you happen to be taking um, vitamin, uh, any of these vitamin supplements, but vitamin C, please, please, please make sure you tell your healthcare provider um, what you're taking. A lot of times when I ask folks, um, tell me, you know, tell me what medicines you're on and they'll give me a list of medicines, but they leave off any supplements or vitamins and minerals that they're taking. Um, don't be afraid to tell us. I'm not going to fuss at you. I just need to know um, because let's say you come to see me with diarrhea and you don't disclose that you're taking this massive amount of vitamin C, I may start chasing other causes um, for diarrhea instead of being able to go, oh, well, this is, this is what it is here, and we need to back down off, um, off of that amount of vitamin C. So take home on vitamin C is we probably don't need an additional supplement, but if you do take an additional supplement, do not take high dose vitamin C. Don't take more than 2000 milligrams a day. It will cause you to have some, some tummy upset there and always, always um, discuss it with your healthcare provider before doing it. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And we're talking uh, some things related to COVID today. It's been a little while since we focused on COVID. I know a lot of folks kind of get uh, COVID fatigue. So um, we backed off of that a little bit. But anytime um, that I get repeated questions about things, um, either from individual patients um, or the community or through social media, I feel like it's appropriate to bring that to you guys and discuss that as well. Because if they have questions, you have questions. And if you have a question for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's 1-877-672-7464. Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. And you can interact with me over on Facebook at Healthy Habits um, with Josie. And you can drop us a message there. Um, so before the break, we were talking about um, kind of the push for vitamins and supplements in relationship to COVID and whether there is any... Um, any data to support that or any problem with being able uh, being able to do that. And we talked about vitamin C before the break. That's probably one of the more common ones that we see. Um, I want to talk about zinc next because um, zinc is um, a, a mineral 
that um, has kind of long been touted to help with things like the common cold and viruses. Um, you may remember um, several years ago, there was actually um, like some zinc nasal stuff, like you could squirt it up your nose, or they had these little sticks that you wiped in there. And the thought was that it would keep um, the virus from kind of being able to replicate in your nose. What it did cause was loss of smell in a lot of people. And kind of uh, that didn't always um, improve. And so those have largely been removed from the from the market. Um, but if you ever see something that's like zinc up your nose, don't do that. Um, it is not um, recommended by, by anyone for the prevention of colds, flu, or COVID. What you may see zinc um, as a formulation for is in um, lozenges. So um, I know last year I was um, I would, would pop like an elderberry lozenge every now and then, um, and it had some zinc uh, in there with it. The deal with zinc is just like with um, vitamin C, there are not a ton of zinc deficiencies in uh, in the United States. So supplementing with zinc. Um, it's probably not necessary if we're getting a balanced diet. So there are groups of people, though, who may be more likely to have a zinc deficiency. So first, let's talk about where you get zinc. Um, zinc is in things like um, oysters is a is a big um, kind of source of of zinc. Um, other kind of uh, meats and seafoods have zinc in them. Beans, legumes, whole grains, nuts, those also have, um, have zinc in them. Um, now the zinc from plant-based sources can be a little bit more difficult to absorb than the zinc from animal-based sources. So if you are a completely plant-based eater, um, then it's not unreasonable to think we might need um, a zinc supplement. But again, probably not in um, a large quantity and probably not even in just like a singular zinc, maybe just a multivitamin um, that, that has that in there. So um, again, the, the data is not really there on um, kind of zinc and COVID. There are some clinical trials going on though. So that's important to think about is that we may have more robust data for that about whether or not it should be added um, to kind of the prevention or the treatment of COVID-19, but it's not there. So that's when we kind of use that um, term like insufficient evidence, right? We just don't know. Another group of people who um, are more likely to have a zinc deficiency would be people who consume large amounts of alcohol. So actually, you know, people who would kind of meet the qualification of being um, a very heavy alcohol drinker um, because it, it prevents the absorption of zinc in the um, in the GI tract. So that that could also be a possibility there. Of course, we'd love to talk with you about how to cut back on the alcohol consumption as well, because it's not just zinc that it interferes with. It's going to interfere with a lot of things um, related to health um, there. And then if you have a, a like a GI disorder that causes poor absorption, like maybe you have um, uh, like a 
like an ulcerative colitis or a Crohn's or something like that, then we also sometimes will see um, zinc deficiencies in those folks. But again, that is a much lower chance of having a zinc deficiency for the average average person. Um, so I would always, you know, discuss that with healthcare provider uh, before adding zinc there because we just don't have robust information about um, about the effects of, of zinc with COVID. All right. Let's kind of pivot for a second um, and talk about some questions that I've gotten about the vaccine. So um, let's talk about the fact that we have two vaccines on the market right now. When I say vaccine, I'm talking about COVID vaccine. Uh, We have the Pfizer vaccine and the AstraZeneca. Uh, Nope, sorry, Pfizer and Moderna. I was thinking about the AstraZeneca because I just uh, read some stuff about it this morning. But we have the Pfizer and the Moderna um, vaccines that are um, currently available. And one of the most common questions I get about um, the COVID vaccine is, can you get COVID from the vaccine? Um, It's a a very common question that arises for other vaccines as well, like the flu vaccine. Um, And the the short answer is no. Um, You cannot get um, either the flu or COVID from the actual um, COVID vaccine. It is not a live virus vaccine. It is an mRNA vaccine, so it helps your body um, produce the spike protein, which then your body makes antibodies to. Um, so um, there is no actual kind of COVID in the vaccine to uh, to give you COVID. Now, there are absolutely, you may see it makes big splashy headlines when somebody who has gotten maybe the first dose of the vaccine um, then comes down with COVID and you go, well, what the heck, you know? So... COVID-19 has a very long incubation period, okay? And by incubation period, we mean the time from exposure to the virus until you become symptomatic and say, oh, I'm sick, right? And so with the flu, the incubation period is pretty short, right? Like one to four days, average of about two. And so most folks um, with with an incubation period that short will go, Um, I remember like where I got exposed to that, right? Like I was a peds nurse, like a kid would cough in my face and I'd be like, Oh, it's coming two days later. Here comes, you know, whatever illness. So COVID-19's incubation period is between two and 14 days. That is a big old window there. Now the average is somewhere between five to seven days, but that is still a pretty long window of time. So you could have been exposed to COVID and incubating it without symptoms when that first vaccine um, was administered. And then several days later, you would develop symptoms of COVID-19. So not from the vaccine, just you already had it when, um, uh, when you got vaccinated for that. Okay. Um, probably the kind of follow-up question to that, that, um, goes along with it is should you then complete the vaccine series, right? You know, should you get that, that second dose there? Um, and so if you've had COVID, then you kind of have naturally acquired, um, immunity for it. So the general recommendation 
um, from um, the Department of Health and from the CDC is to wait 90 days after um, a COVID, um, after having COVID to get um, the, the remainder of that vaccine process. But it may vary depending on where you're getting it, if you're getting it from a primary health care provider or um, from your place of employment, those kinds of things. So you would need to check with your individual health care provider there. Uh, before we came on the air, um, we had a question that asked about kind of side effects from the vaccine, which is another very, very common question that I get, um, remembering that it's a two-dose series, right? And so after dose one, um, the most commonly reported side effects are a sore arm, right, at the injection site, maybe even some, you know, swelling, redness, tenderness at the area, um, fatigue, and um, headache. So those are, are the kind of most commonly reported ones. If you want um, a list of, and the and kind of the prevalence of all of those, there is a post over on um, Healthy Habits with Josie that has kind of a graphic that shows uh, the different uh, percentages of folks um, and reporting side effects based off whether it's first dose, second dose, how, you know, how long it lasts and those kinds of things. Um, I can share kind of my my personal um, experience with the first dose, I received Pfizer first dose and um, had some arm soreness that was actually less than the arm soreness associated with the flu shot that I usually get. Um, and I was tired. Uh, now, I did get up at six o'clock in the morning to go get that vaccine. And if you know me, I am not a happy morning person. So I may have just been tired because I was tired. Uh, but I did take a nap um, and um, got a good night's sleep that night as well. And was you know back to back to normal than whatever normal is for me the next day um, and, and feeling good there. Now for um, the second dose. Oh, wait, Kevin, you got something for me? Yeah, I wanted to jump in there on that. Um, yeah. I've got one scheduled for tomorrow, but like with a lot of people, I'm having to drive to Meridian uh, to get the shot. Is the the fatigue thing going to be? I mean, how how close after the shot do you start feeling a little drowsy? Uh, and I wouldn't even really call it drowsy. I would just call it being tired, kind of like if you come home from like a hard day's work, you're just kind of tired you just kind of want to kick up and rest it's not where you're just gonna you know fall over um anything like that um but for me it was several hours later um you know about four or five hours later and you got to think your immune system is working right and so you know just like you kind of have fatigue or feel you know um feel tired when you have an infection um it's kind of the the similar thing but very very uh mild so you should you should be fine in driving back um, you know, with the drive-through sites, um, of course, I have not been to one of those. I received mine, uh, you know, from uh, my employer, but I hear that they are extremely well run um, and very efficient, and that they do monitor you for that 15 minutes um, after that injection to make sure you don't have any um, problems with anything. Um, and and so it's a it's a, a good process that they have going on there. Um, let's go and take a call from Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Excuse, I'd like to ask a question about. I'm sure. Just curious, did, was any animal testing done, like with rats or chimpanzees or anything? Was any animal testing done on these vaccines? <clears throat> 
So the process for these vaccine testing proceeded through the normal phases of, of clinical trials, which are going to be more bench research, then are going to be more animal research, and then moving into human trials there. Um, I'm happy to send you kind of the full kind of trial overview if you want to take a look at it there so that you can see it, but they didn't cut any corners. It seems that that things kind of happened very, very quickly, but it's because the technology and the research into this type of vaccine development has been um, been going on for many, many, many years for other things. And we just kind of saw the the end results and snippets of that going on. Okay, can I, can I make a quick comment about zinc? Sure, lay Several it on me. Ago, I, I was taking this, zinc was very popular, you know, and right. uh, I, I was taking this zinc vitamin with a lot of uh, vitamin with a lot of zinc in it, and my tongue just got dried out totally. And the doctor mm-hmm. said nothing he could do about it. This went on for several uh, weeks, and finally I ate a really hot jalapeno pepper, a fresh jalapeno pepper, and uh, that my eyes were running, my nose was running, and it, it restored the um, taste buds in my mouth. It it lubed it all back up. It it just irritated that capsaicin <laughs> stimulated everything, and and I got my taste back. Well, that is, uh, that's good to know. That's good to know. All right, Sue, thank you so much for giving us a call. And as always, thanks for listening to us here. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Joining us on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, I am Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about vitamins and supplements and COVID-19 today, as well as answering um, some vaccine questions that have come in via Facebook. If you have a question for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can always email us at fit at mpbonline.org or bounce on over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and interact interact with me there. All right, let's go to Philadelphia. I think we have a caller on the line and talk with them this morning. Hello. 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 How are you? I'm fine. Hello. Uh, What can we help you with today? Yeah. Yes, I have a question. Uh, Do you think uh, we'll ever figure out a way to do more public service uh, type of stuff to help people realize that this uh, virus that we needed to take it more seriously. Hmm. 
so the reason why tell, I asked that, yeah, uh, give me some more details. That, yeah, the reason why I say that is if uh, if hospitals put a took a, a mattress and just put it on a table and put a, a, a you know a mannequin underneath it, threw a sheet over it, and had a sign out saying this could be you or something like that. <laughs> I mean, just do a little more drastic public service toward to. To get, get people to realize that this, we need to take this virus seriously. Mm-hmm. I see people all the time not wearing their masks, and it's just yeah. kind of scary to me. Yeah, I'm sixty. You know, I, I, I hear you. You know, um, there are, you know, those of us who have made it our mission to, um, to really push the the information out. Um, and we get lots of pushback um, from folks uh, about, you know, the the virus and, um, you know, questioning uh, the severity of it and those kinds of things. And I always um, am, am happy to discuss that with folks and, and push out what, you know, what we actually know um, about things. Um, you know, I, I, lots of institutions are, I, you know, have very strong um, public facing campaigns about this. Um, you know, the one you mentioned is, you know, quite a, um, it would be a bold move, um, yeah, to, to, to do that. <laughs> it would be, drastic. it would be drastic, very bold. People, it sounds a little drastic, but people just, just aren't taking the virus seriously. They think, oh, well, yeah. it's going to happen to somebody else. It's not going to happen to me. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. our luck isn't that good you know, right. <laughs> and it, it all goes back to when we think about the science behind behavior change, which we talk a lot about on on this show when we're talking about, you know, maybe eating better or moving more and those kinds of things. And, you know, scare tactics often don't don't work for a lot of folks. Um, and they and just education alone doesn't either. Um, we have to think about um, kind of making it uh, meaningful as you know as to why people would w- would want to to change and do those kinds of things and you know for me it's to try and get some sense of of normalcy back for my kiddos uh, you know they have have uh, missed a whole lot over the the past year and so you know I'm doing everything in my power to to get them back to 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 some normal childhood uh, type things there. But I appreciate the sentiment of, of the call and, and the notion behind it that we do, you know, we do have to take um, this virus very seriously. All right, let's go over to Mobile and talk with Mikey. Good morning, Mikey. Um, I, I, I appreciate that gentleman's comments. I really do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, mine is more dietarily, and I thought this up before I called y'all, Okay. <laughs> uh, concerned um, uh, because I, I started having this craving for popcorn, which I haven't had for years. <laughs> and um, okay. I started making it. It's very easy to make in a paper bag in the microwave, by the way, mm-hmm. with no mm-hmm. oil, uh, which mm-hmm. I know you know, but a lot of people yes. don't. You know, I didn't yeah. for a long time. Um, and it's just real easy. I mean, even for kids to do as long as, well, you're watching it. <laughs> Right, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to set fire to the house, right? Um, Absolutely. uh, Anyway, uh, because it goes from the the pop and stopping to the burn part really quickly. Very quickly, quickly. yes, very quickly. a couple of seconds. My question, though, is regarding the charcoal that's within the popcorn. I mean, when I do this, because like I said, I have not done this for a while, 
And um, and then when I did it, I realized that I totally loved it, even the charcoal part of it. And I oh, the burnt part? About, yeah, the burnt part. Okay. I even ate that, okay? And I, not only did I do that, I did it three more times because I was only doing <laughs> a, palm, a palm full at a time in a paper bag, okay, mm-hmm. in a narrow paper bag, um, uh, like the kind you get used to get at, at uh, movie theaters, you know, or you get in wine bottles. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, so it wasn't too much of it, uh, but apparently – I liked it because I ate it three times. All right. That's what I had for dinner. <laughs> uh, All right. And uh, my question is, I've also had nurses talk to me in the past about having deactivated. Is that the right word? Charcoal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, and also burn bread. Same thing. Are those things, um, you know, like when you burn the center of a piece of toast or whatever. Is that deactivated charcoal? Is that good or bad for you? No, it's it's not. Um, it's just burnt whatever the the substance was. So it's not actually um, charcoal. It just kind of smells like that because it's it's a burnt product. And actually, um, burned or charred things are not great for health, especially depending, especially if it's um like an animal-based source of something um, that actually creates what we call advanced um, glycosylated end products um, or AGEs, which are associated with um, inflammation and cancer and those kinds of things. So we want to not do um, burned or charred things um, as much as possible there. All right. That was a great call though. Terry, let's go to Terry in Tupelo. Good morning, Terry. I love the show. Uh, yeah. You know, the gentleman that called earlier about the uh, mannequin and that sort of thing, I actually mm-hmm. have a family member who is just in the hospital, not from COVID, but from a, mm. another condition. Right. Had to go to the emergency room. He spent three days on and off in the hallway on a bed in the mm-hmm. emergency room because of the overcrowding. And I fear that it's only going to get worse. He's needing more contagious. Uh, COVID strains, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to, to mention that, and also, you know, I know there's water under the bridge, and there's Monday morning quarterbacking it, but if we had had an administration that had put a national campaign out for safety, I think we'd be in a lot better shape than we are right now, and I'll listen to you offline. Thank you. All right. Thank you, and thank you for giving us a call. Um, you know, you mentioned um, increased wait times in in the emergency department. And, you know, we are, we have so many folks that are, are, you know, coming in with, with COVID, but other things didn't stop happening. You know, car accidents didn't stop happening, heart attacks, strokes, um, you know, other injuries, uh, you know, GI illnesses, these things that require, um, you know, care in a hospital setting didn't, didn't stop just because there is a pandemic, which is why, you know, we have, really talked about the fact of trying to limit the spread of, um, of COVID um, to take some of that strain off the healthcare system um, because we've got all these other illnesses that are, are still going on and still require, um, still require care. So I'm sorry that, you know, your loved one had to, to go to the hospital, had to wait for care. Um, but you know, that, that is, is what we're, we're dealing with um, right now in certain, 
certain areas. So anything we can do to try and slow the spread of COVID, uh, we want to do that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, and we've been talking about some COVID-related things today. We've had some vaccine questions as well as some questions about vitamins and minerals and supplements and those kinds of of things there. We're in the last segment of the show, so if you have a burning question, now is the time. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. I got a Facebook question that said, uh, my husband is on the liver transplant list. He's required to get the pneumonia vaccine. He got it today. Um, how long should he wait to take the COVID vaccine after taking the pneumonia vaccine? Great question. Um, the answer is 14 days. So um, the 14 days before or after. So if he got the pneumonia vaccine today, we would wait 14 days and then be um, eligible to get um, the COVID vaccine. If he got the COVID vaccine, he would again wait 14 days before getting any other vaccine there. If you're doing one of the MSDH drive-through sites, that is a screening question that is asked um, when booking an appointment is if you have received any vaccines in the last 14 days. Um, so um, don't uh, don't think they're just not wanting to give you one. There is that 14-day waiting period there. All right. Another vaccine question it says, if you are diabetic, will the vaccine make your sugar spike? an excellent question as well. And so it's not listed um, kind of as an official side effect, but if we think about the fact that vaccines are um, inducing an immune response, right? We think about what happens when we get sick, right? When we get sick and have a fever and inflammation, you may have blood sugar elevation there. Um, So it is not unreasonable to think that you might have some blood sugar elevations um, after the vaccine. Um, you should just kind of follow your sick day plan. So whatever your um, guidelines are from your healthcare provider about what to do when you are sick would be there as well. All right, quickly, let's go to Diane in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. How can I help you today? Um, well, <laughs> I was actually calling in and I missed um, the, the, the first part of that last question. Um, um, the other person was asking about the pneumonia shot. Did you say... Mm-hmm. Uh, or were you referring to blood sugar in the COVID shot? Because that's a concern for me. That wasn't my question. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, so I was saying it, blood sugar spikes after the COVID vaccine are not kind of listed as an official side effect, but vaccines are inducing an immune response. So think about when you get sick, you know, sometimes your blood sugar yeah. will kind of go up, go up from that. So it's not okay. unreasonable to think that it might cause some elevations in, in blood sugar. You would just kind of follow your normal, your sick day plan, um, you know, for okay. how you how you treat your sugar when you're ill. Yep. Okay, so my actual question was, that was just an add-on. That's okay. Okay, so I'm going on Wednesday the 3rd of February to get my Mm -hmm. um, COVID shot. I'm going to be Mm -hmm. going to Disney World on the 20th. And you know how Florida is. They've got it pretty bad. Um, Right. How long does it it take to get uh, your immune immunity for that shot? After yeah. you get it. Yeah. So for, so in clinical trial, the efficacy for the full dose series for Pfizer or Moderna is somewhere between 94 to 95% effective, right? Um, yeah. That's the full dose series. So are you, you're getting your first shot on the third? Yeah, it's my first. Okay. So you would only have completed kind of half of, of the dose series, um, there by the time you go um, go to Disney. So it wouldn't be at full efficacy. Um, it, it d- The data is looking like it's somewhere around 50% after about two weeks um, uh, from the from the time of the shot, but not, you know, not to the 94, 95% efficacy. Oh, okay. um, and yeah, well, and then I mean, after... I have... I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that, you know, I've heard that uh, that the UK strain or that other African strain or whatever that's supposed to be worse than our, the strain that we have predominantly here is in mm-hmm. Florida. And I, I have heard somewhere that we should be wearing like double, double masking up, yeah. you know, wearing two masks and, at once. Right. And so that is some of the messaging that has, has come out, um, you know, and there's not, you know, super big science behind that. Like nobody's tested two masks versus one that I'm aware of. Um, But the idea would be, you know, the more layers of filtration that you have, the, you know, blocking of actual physical secretions as well as filtering of particles. Now that has to be weighed against the fact that um, super thick, you know, layering of masks may cause people to feel more short of breath um, or, you know, more claustrophobic, have more anxiety, those types of things. I am uh, more concerned with people wearing their mask the right way, um, even if it's just one, you know, over their nose, over their mouth, not pulling it up and down, not touching all over it, um, all of those kinds of of good things um, there, Um, or using, um, you know, a surgical mask instead of a cloth mask. Um, Those do tend to have a little bit better um, filtration uh, you know, rates there on those, but just wearing a mask, washing your hands, trying not to get, you know, right up on folks and keeping that, um, that distance and, and staying outdoors as much as we can. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, very helpful. You're very welcome. Have a, have a safe trip. All right, guys, we're in the, just the last few minutes of the show. So I'm going to answer, um, I think I've got one other question that says, um, what about side effects after the second dose of the vaccine? Um, so 
more so than with the first dose, right? And so when I say that, I mean, not everybody has this, but just more so than with the first dose, people do report more flu-like symptoms. So fever, chills, muscle aches, those kinds of things. Um, again, doesn't mean that you have COVID. Um, those are just um, some of the, the side effects from the immune response. So I'm calling it a robust immune response uh, so that you're having those fever, chills, muscle aches. I did have that. Um, it was a little bit of a delayed onset, about 15 to 20 hours after my second dose, and it lasted for about a day. Everything was all back to normal after um, 48 hours. Um, and people under the age of um, 55 are usually the ones that report more of that fever, chills, muscle aches, and less so in the older population of people. So um, don't be alarmed with that. It's just more commonly associated with the second dose there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere.